I'm James Ingram, and welcome to Make My Logo Bigger, where we speak with creatives in the ad business. Today, I have the honor of speaking with my good friend, well-known creative, Jeff Simpson. Jeff is a creative director at Trampoline, but our relationship began many years ago, dating back to his time at Cassette. The guy is incredibly intelligent, creative, and brave in his work. It's been an honor to collaborate with him over the years, and today is no different. I'm really excited to pick his brain today and catch up with an old friend. Jeff, thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. It's been been a while. It's been a while. When's the last time we worked on something? Six months ago, maybe. Yeah, Nova Scotia works. Yeah. Just to kind of set this off, maybe we can just start... You can just give us a little bit of a, the history of your journey through advertising, you know, how that bug started, the decision you made to, to go into this crazy world. Sure. Um, can't really say I made a conscious decision to go into it. And I think probably a lot of people in this business just kind of find it haphazardly. Maybe not so much anymore because it's a little bit more known thanks to shows like Mad Men and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but back to like high school, uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I was done. Um, so it's actually, I had a great guidance counselor and he brought up a program at Humber that was called like advertising graphic design. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, sounds fun. I like making things, Photoshop, I don't know what I have to do. So he actually put the application in for me. Yeah. Were you already artistic in the sense that you were drawing and you had an interest when you look back at that stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, I did graffiti. I, I painted. I, I drew on everything as a kid. You know, most of us creative got something learning disability, ADHD, yeah, dyslexic, yeah. autistic, whatever it is. Like there's always that pent up energy somewhere. So the release for me was sports and, and drawing, which I would never have thought could become a profession yeah you know so i i took my guidance counselor's advice i was like i don't know what i want to do i also applied to like journalism school at carlton university because they had a great program there um it was really hard to get in so i got into the humber program but it was on a wait list because they only had take a i think like 70 applicants a year what year was that do you remember 2002 um so basically i straight out of high school you know it took six months off i went out west and worked a bit saved some money um and then i didn't get into the program because it was on a wait list um but they had another program like a foundation program called design foundations where you take everything you take typography industrial design like fashion design kind of like everything you could possibly use to decide what creative path you want to go in. Great. And it was only one year. So I was like, well, if that doesn't work out, I can just figure out something else. But it was great. Like the people that were in the class were awesome. The instructors were great. And I realized like, wow, there's a lot of avenues here to explore. Yeah. You know, I certainly realized that I wasn't going to be an architect or an industrial designer because I didn't have the the steady hand or the math background to yeah. do it. Um, yeah. I'll leave that to other people. You know, those are the things you draw inspiration from. But what I learned is I just like sort of applying, thinking things of like the psychology way of like how to manipulate things and get people to change their behavior. Yeah. So then I, you know, flew through that program, got accepted right away into the, the advertising one. And then that was two years, which is a lot of work. Yeah. I think out it's of, extensive. Yeah. It used to be a three year program. They turned it into two. So I think by the end of the graduating class, out of 70 people, there was only like 30 left that made it. And I keep tabs on people that, you know, I went to school with. Humber's got an amazing reputation for, they do. for pumping out great ad um, grads. 
So there's, you know, there's a handful of them now scattered around the country and the world that are quite successful. So that kind of started the fire. Um, and then from there, I did some internships at different places at Gray Toronto and right. a couple other smaller agencies. Did a bit of freelance work for about six months and then wasn't sure, okay, what's next? You know, I'm like, am I going to stay in Toronto, go work overseas? Still kind of had that bug of like, well, it might be more the more you learn about the business you're like wow well, we're a little more conservative here in canada so maybe i'll go try working somewhere else and at this point you were still like early 20s free as a bird yeah there was nothing yeah. tying me down um and then just sort of chance where i got out of the blue type of email i think from don venish or uh, somebody don. yeah at cassette and even like brian hickling people yeah. um so i met with them got an offer for cassette and then had to decide i'm like do i want to never really been to Halifax much. Could be kind of fun. Had yeah. a couple of friends that were going to NASCAD and Dallas. So I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, yeah. go out there for a year, explore the other side of the country. I don't like it, move back home. And we're what, 15, 16 years later. So yeah. And that was Cossette. I can remember uh, meeting you there. You were working with David Sayers, I think at the time. Yeah. You guys were logging the hours. Yeah. Working on Bell. I remember meeting you, I think for the first time you had a studio down on Brunswick street. Yeah. Riding a scooter around, go to That's the right. bathroom and 300 Trademark building. 300 bell shoots later. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> the rep. It wasn't really a plan of mine, you know, just as I got into it, you know, like a lot of creative people, I felt like a fraud, you know, everyone's yeah. like, I'm not good at this. So I just, I just worked my ass off and you can see the success. And when you get into the industry, you can start seeing like, oh, there's all these award shows and all these accolades and there's a lot of places to go. So at what point, because I remember the the point where I thought, this is all I want to do. And it was in school and it was because of my instructor, D Dave Campbell. He had a commercial photography studio and I was just like, that's my world. That's where I want to be. Well, I'm happy that you found that because there's days where I'm like, I see someone picking up garbage on the side of the road. I'm like, you know what? That looks like a lot of fun. Well, I, I have those days too. I bet you no one's criticizing how he does his job. I know. Um, so there wasn't, I, I, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint one specific moment in time or thing that happened i just saw it as an opportunity to sort of use my creativity as like an outlet and i'm like and i get paid to do this like the advertising industry is pretty fun right like it is very fun that's you know, what I'm, that's what i'm saying it's more buckled down now than it used to be but like you know it was it's really shiny and they they do a lot of fun things and they keep people happy but they're also like just burn people out you know i found that in the bigger markets yeah so here i was just exploring and then of course i met my beautiful wife and yeah the rest is the history. rest is history yeah i often think advertising doing advertising is like playing with accountability yeah, you're, um, you know, you get millions of dollars given to you by a client, which is a company or a corporation. Yeah. But at the other end of it, it's just other people. Yeah. So the more I did it, uh, bigger projects and the different exposure you get stuff, what I really started to enjoy, and I guess would be the thing that makes me still enjoy it, is that every day is different. Every day is different. You know, every client is different. Every project is different. Um, so that's kind of the thing that keeps me going. Like there's no monotony of like same thing every day. You know, I yeah. have friends that work for the federal government and, and they just. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't do it. I'd last five minutes. They describe their day and most of them don't work that hard, but 
they describe their day and I'm just like, man, that sounds so boring. Yeah. I would just, and Death that, on the installment plan. That could be that, you know, those ADHD things, you know, yeah, that, I think so. That just, I need something constant, you know, the constant stimulants of, of this world that we work in. There's, it has opened me up to exploring a lot more artistic like avenues. You know, I don't do anything else. I did, you know, paint and some printmaking and yeah. stuff like that. Like I love photography. I'm not that good at it, but it exposes you to a lot and allows you to make connections with people. Like you can get to work with like some of your idols and just by chance, cause like what's the, what's the harm in asking to work with this person, exactly. this artist, this photographer, this director, the worst they can say is no. Yeah. So I can re- distinctly remember meeting you at Cossette for the first or second time. And we, you know, we got, got talking, got acquainted with each other. And, and you were very clear that your first love was art and then you wanted to open a shop. That would be in the dream. Still is. Yeah. It's hard. Like the art world is difficult. So yeah, I, I did. Like I have, like I said, I always loved art. And then by going to school and studying it, like I said, you get exp- like, I loved graffiti, you know, like yeah. it was just the time period that I grew up in. Like it, the rebelness of it, you know, like the risk, like all those sort of highs you get like it's not like painting a studio you're going to get busted by the cops or injured um so there was something that sort of drew me to it yeah and i kind of it was really hard like it's not an easy discipline to get good at but i sort of fell in love with it and then through that a lot of the people in that sort of side of the art world too which kind of exploded in the 80s and then they started getting more you know as everything's like oh it's just dirty graffiti it's a disgusting mess it ruins mm. the cities and then once the rich people in the galleries wanted a piece of it everything changed um and some of those people like are the most prolific artists in the world right yes. now so you know i was inside that community you know in, in toronto and other cities and go to festivals and all the shops and it was just such a cool thing and it exposed me then to like study all the other types of art form like i did japanese calligraphy and studied african art um as a hobby not in school or anything um but yeah so the dream was like maybe i could open a a little gallery myself and because i've always felt that i had the ability to maybe foster that like share share and foster those sort of the loves i have for that with other people because that's kind of you know like i like to do like influence people but like hey i really love this thing let me tell you about it yeah and then hopefully others do too but especially in halifax there's not a big there's a great art scene here don't get me wrong but you know you could probably count the amount of art galleries on one hand yep that are profitable um so it's it's still there no, maybe, maybe one day. How does that, how does that inform your work? Do you think earlier on for sure? Like everyone has like a style, right? Everyone sort of tries to have like their own personal style. Um, the best people, you can't recognize one unless like mm-hmm. you're so good at one thing. Like if you're like, oh, I'm the best person at shooting water bottles, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to pay it a lot to do it. So it definitely influenced my style because that's what I consumed. Right. So you yeah. could see it in like your layouts and this and that. But what I liked about graffiti and sort of street art in general is it kind of broke all the rules to begin with, you know, cause a lot of them, what they were doing was illegal in the first place. Yeah. So why the hell would they care? what message they put up, what colors they used, if things worked or not. No rules. No rules. Um, And I still try and apply that now. Like you go to school for it and they teach you all the foundations. Like this is how you have to set a headline or this is what a picture should look like. You know, when I was in school, it was visual pun ads all the way, tiny little logo in the corner and just like no headline and a picture. And I hope you get it. And I was like, well, that's just boring in the same old, same old all the time. Um, So I remember going to like the libraries and like digging up old vintage magazines and finding like Raygun magazine and just seeing all those rebel type characters in the industry. I'm like, oh yeah, there's, you can still 
do the design and like make it your own and just say, I don't give a shit what people, if they like it or not, mm-hmm. it makes me happy to create it. And then hopefully people do like it. Sort of um, back to the graffiti roots. Yeah. The purity of it. Yeah. Like it's, it's not done for anyone else's enjoyment. It's done for yeah. mine. Yeah. Now. I do work in a business, so I'm getting paid. So it's not just done for my enjoyment. It better be for others as well, which is the challenge like that we get every day. Yeah. You know, you might have something you're like, oh, I really want to do it this way, um, but you can't. This is interesting. I mean, there's there's hundreds of examples of this, but one that kind of stands out for me was a uh, I remember a project we worked on for Add Some Hosts, and I remember talking to Add Some Hosts, and I realized, you know, I need I need some help with this, some creative help. I think there's a bigger message to be done here, and I approached you and Shelley. I think you were working at that at the time, and I got to tell you, it, it always amazes me. You know, when you think about a, a particular discipline and what people do, and it's kind of hard to explain it, but you guys went away and you thought about Add Some, and you came back with what I thought was like incredible work, and it ended up being just that the the whole idea of the key and the is a symbol and that starting point. I just, I'm just so impressed by, by what creative, you know, art directors and creative directors do to get to the message, you know, because that was exactly what was needed. And then we brought that to life. Yeah. And I'm impressed by that every day too. Yeah. I impress myself because, you know, we all get those challenges and with that one in particular with not-for-profit groups and stuff, they tend to be uh a little bit more lenient and more thankful of all the work you're doing. So you have a little bit more license to explore. Yeah. Knowing like if they don't like it, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll do something small for you and then good luck. But yeah, we took that as a challenge and we're like, this is what we want to do. And most people are like, well, you're never going to get that done. That's impossible. I'm like, well, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, there's always cliche quotes that you could put on your bathroom wall to motivate you. But I was just like, who cares? Whatever. I got the grit and energy to do it. And through the whole process of that yeah. project, yeah. Uh, you know, every oh, I've night, seen that from you various times standing there looking at it like, oh, this isn't going to work. Um, but that's what the exciting part of it is. Yeah. It's like you don't know what you're going to do is going to work. It could be a complete failure. Yeah. And then you just have to move on. You have to um, pivot. You have to well, or just give up and move on to something else and realize like, OK, that doesn't work. We'll have to do something else. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit. So, you know, we get introduced to ads and we have a meeting with them. You guys go away. What was that process like with you and Shelly to get to where we got to? Creative processes. Well, with that project in particular, um, think, you know, we had, we had noodled around some sort of ideas, you know, you get like a little bit of a brief and they tell you what you want. Um, but you're always looking for something more emotional connection to people, like something that's not on the surface. And it was one of those moments, you know, people always joke like, Oh, I had an epiphany when I was walking the dog or in the shower or at the toilet or whatever. It's never when you're in the moment thinking about it, that you got to get all the junk out of your head when you're sitting at your desk so that you can have it in the back of your brain. And I don't know if it was Shelly or myself or one of us had a key or looked at a key and was like, well, this is kind of meaningless to you and me. Right. But to someone that doesn't have a home, getting a key represents a lot more than just, you know, a key to a door. It opens their whole life or gives them a sense of security. And then that's, you you know, you get that on a little post-it note, you write it on a board, you leave it there and then let it sit. And then like, okay, is that, can we turn that into something? How can we make that bigger? I believe Shelly went away and wrote some beautiful, beautiful ads and work presented to the client. They were in love. And then the ambitious side of it, you know, again, being influenced by other artwork that we see or work by other artists. We had seen some amazing visual art where they constructed sculptures that 
mm-hmm. look one way at one angle and another way at another, a different angle. Maybe we could do that with some keys. Yeah. And then again, we're like, okay, well, let's figure out how we could do that. First, we need a bunch of keys, which I had a great conversation with, with some guy in his shed out in Bedford as he sold me two baskets of keys. And, you know, Shelly's husband even helped us figure out the rigging. And we had, you know, Jonathan, who I work with, help out with figure out the 3D thing and like do all the math. And then again, even when we constructed it, we're like, this isn't going to work. But in the end, it slowly did. So yeah. You know, just didn't give up on it. Right. You know, we knew that it could be done. Yeah. We didn't have the luxury of a huge team of people to help us out or hire the person that we know that could build this thing perfectly. We just figured it out on our own, which is the exciting, the exciting and most nerve wracking part of this job is you can pitch something and and they go, oh, well, they bought it and we got to go do it now. Exactly. We're in trouble. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Add Some Hosts is a, is a host that provides shelter and support for, for women that are, and children that are having yep. trouble in relationships and et cetera. Yeah. Uh, they do very important work. They do. And that, that I got to say, that was one of the most meaningful campaigns I think I've ever worked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, um, it was certainly like, I would call it like a passion project, yes, right? It was. Like, and there was others that I worked with you on as well when we painted a bunch of people green. PTSD campaign. PTSD campaign for the Mental Health Foundation. You know, I had worked with a writer who had some mental health uh, things he was going through and mentioned it haphazardly again, right? Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, hmm, that could be interesting. And then we did nothing with it. And then one day, on Instagram or something, scrolled through something, saw a person that was like a uh, painted green yeah. or something. And I was like, wait a minute, why don't we paint them instead of making these little army figures? Why don't yeah. we just paint real people and yeah. make them look like that? And then he was like, yeah, that's much better than the stupid little soldier idea. And what was the tagline in that again? What was the, um, the glue? I don't remember exactly. I could probably look it up. But the idea was most people for PTSD, all they think about is war, soldiers, yes. first responders. Yes. Um, but the reality is that PTSD can affect anyone, anyone that's been through a traumatic event or some life event that, that, that's been traumatic and changed them. Um, so it's really that it's just that PTSD isn't always on the battlefield, something like that. So creatively, we took those little green army men that everyone's used to, um, and we turned everyday people. I believe there was a guy at a barbecue, a woman in a suit and a kid kid playing hockey, painted them green uh, at this studio and other places, took their pictures. Um, who did the post work again for those, for that? We sent those away. And again, that's, that's, as I talked about earlier in this industry where I have no problem reaching out to like the best of the best I, whether i know them or not yeah so i you follow a lot of people's work in this industry that inspires yeah. you and there was a studio and um called feather wax right and i emailed him the idea i don't even think we had shot anything no. at that point just some sketches that i had drawn up told him you know it's uh it's for a client that doesn't have any money so it's like gonna have to ask you to just do this out of the kindness of your heart love the idea and was on board and yeah so i was like awesome but again still not knowing what you're gonna get back yeah and we did the we did the photo shoot you sent me the stuff i sent it off to him i remember because he was in london or san francisco at the time i got an email or text from him late one night and it had one of the first versions of it and i was all nervous to look at it. i'm like oh what does this look like and my jaw just dropped i was like holy crap that looks amazing yeah 
And I'm like, wow, all this extra work that went in, like, and took it to another level. Yes. Right. And yes. If, if I had been afraid of those no's, those rejections of like That's asking right. someone for help, um, I wouldn't have got anywhere. No. It still would have been great. But that made it like took it from good to amazing, really, really, really good. good. Yeah. Um, so again, like that projects like that or any project where you can just push the boundaries for a client or for yourself. And just I always find like I'm never afraid to get rejected. Like if someone's like, that's a stupid idea, it'll never work. I'm like, OK, well, how about this one? Yeah, or I'll try something else. Yeah. And maybe I'll get something better or I'm, or maybe you reach out to someone you've never, ever met in person. Yeah. And all of a sudden you create a great relationship that can last forever and they yeah. help your career and you help theirs. You find your way out of the maze. Yeah. There's a million people out there that are way smarter than I am. Um, yeah. And why wouldn't I, you know, use yeah. them to make me look good? Yeah. So Smart thinking. That's the directing part of art director. That's right. Right. You're you know, supposed to be the one that just directs others to, to turn your ideas into gold. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, nowadays, thanks to technology, we kind of have to do it all. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I, I feel the same way about a lot of art directors, but uh, and Sean King's the same way. He's re relentless with getting the best possible tool for the job. Yeah. It just seems obvious, but not always obvious. Is It's difficult, right? It's always difficult. Like if it wasn't difficult, it wouldn't be worth doing. No. You know, if it's easy, then it's probably going to be shit. Well, you know, at, at the beginning of this, we were just uh, kind of talking about this whole process of advertising. And, and every time you enter into a campaign to do something, it's breaking new ground. I mean, the pieces all exist, but it's it's not been done before. Yeah. Well, in a sense, there's really, you know, when it comes to ideas like that or storytelling, there's nothing new anymore. No. Every story possible, every way at doing something has been done. So you just have to take inspiration from that and take it to a new place. Yeah. Right. Like our business ads, like in a sense, you're just copying and pasting over and over again. If you're right. going to do 500 billboards in your career, they're all billboards. Yep. But how do you find a new way of making them more interesting? Or yeah. how do you find some new inspiration and push it? How do you take a story of guy meets girl? Yeah. Retell it in an interesting way. Yeah. That's what all humans are drawn to. There's very few stories out there that everyone attaches to. But what makes them special is someone finds an interesting way to tell them. Yeah. And it resonates at an emotional level. Yeah. You know, everyone's afraid sometimes of doing something that might make someone sad or or laugh because like, oh, that's not appropriate or. Yeah. It, it's funny. It's just something just popped into my head. Um, you're talking about. I can remember um, seeing billboards here and in other places where they started to paint outside the lines on the billboards and use the billboard uh, as a palette to yeah. expand on for messaging to get attention. Medium is a message. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the old old line. Um, and nowadays, like it was a lot simpler when I started, and probably for you as well. You know, there wasn't as many mediums. And nowadays, no, it's crazy. For now. These young people coming to school, there's like fifty. You know, you yeah. better have some TikTok and Snapchat and filters and yeah. social media. And each one of those portals has their own set of requirements, right? It does. Instagram ads are different than Facebook ads are different than billboards are different than print ads. And I get into that sometimes with people, but I tell them at the root of all that, if you're asking for a campaign or if you want a Facebook ad or a TikTok ad, it still requires the same amount of work. Yes. It, sure. You're not maybe producing it television commercial, but I'm sure you've come across this where yeah. they're like, I just want an ad for social media. I want a little film. I'm like, well, I still have to hire a crew. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you put it. I still yeah. have to put the effort in. It's just where it goes in the end. Yeah. Um, which I find is hard, harder these days because clients tend to want 
more for less. Yes. Um, but they might not understand the process. And it's hard to explain sometimes because everyone has the capabilities. Phones or you can film a commercial on your phone. You can buy a camera that could handle it. You can buy a yeah. GoPro or a drone for 500 bucks and do it all yourself. And some people try and yes. then they fail. And yes. then they call in the the more professionals at it. Yeah. And then still are shocked so at why it, it costs money. Exactly. It's a constant struggle. Yeah. The other thing I don't want to miss out on talking about today is uh, your involvement with Creatives Against Climate Change. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, how they, how you got involved in that. Yeah. Uh, well, ironically, today is Earth Day. That's kind of an accident. Happy accident. Well, we timed that perfectly. <laughs> I can't take any credit for that. About, well, right around when COVID started in the pandemic, been watching, I think, the wildfires in Australia or something. I yeah. watched one of the documentaries about yeah. the firefighters. I remember because I was sitting in a hotel in Prince Edward Island somewhere. I'm like, oh, this will cheer me up. I'll watch a documentary about the world burning and how these firefighters are suffering. This is a good thing to do at 10 o'clock at night before a 5 a.m. shoot call. Yeah. Uh, and I watched it. And I've, you know, if everyone's aware of what's going on in the world. I've always been a person that's loved nature and the environment mm -hmm. ever since I was a kid. Um, but I don't know what it was. There was like a couple scenes in that movie that just broke me. Yeah. Like, I'm like, this is just like, this is out, outrageous. Yes. Like, how can people just stand by and let this happen? So I think immediately like opened PayPal. I'm like, okay, I'll donate a hundred dollars to the firefighter fund. And I think at trampoline, you know, we did, we had an employee who was from Australia and we did like a fundraiser and raise a bunch of money by selling cookies or whatever, you know, I'm like, well, and there was news bits on CNN or whatever saying like, yeah, this is amazing. All these firefighters, they need this money and people are helping so much. And the mayor of the town, I remember was uh, getting all this heat because no pun intended. Mm. Um, for mismanaging it all. And there was a quote somewhere like if Jeff Bezos donated like an hour of his salary, it would be, be enough to sustain them for like a month. So if they donated how much he makes in one day, they'd be fine. And it yeah. kind of dawned on me. I'm like, yeah, you know what? hundred dollars that I did donated. All that did was make me feel a little less guilty so I can close the computer. I'm like, there, I did my part. Yeah. And I realized like it's sure it helps if everyone donated $50 you know, if every Canadian did that, yeah, that'd be a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not going to affect any change long term. It's just throwing water onto the fire, literally. So I started batting around this idea of like, what can I do? What do I have to offer other than financial things to donate to these causes? And noodled around a bit and realized like, well, it's what I do every day. Yes. What I get paid to do, my creativity and coming up with ideas and solving problems. So I thought like, well, how can I turn that into something and years ago we had done a project for the red cross here i think it was called volunteer market and it was the idea around that like a lot of people don't have money to donate you know some people volunteer their time so basically the 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 short story of it was like you didn't have to donate money you could donate anything else like you want to bake cookies like james you'll give me ten dollars and i'll bake you cookies yep. and that money goes to this thing that was a success. And I thought about that. I'm like, okay, well, we can donate our creative time, which is worth way more than any amount of money I could ever give. Um, but I started thinking about it and, you know, created a name for it, Creatives for Climate Action. Talked about it with a bunch of people and they all got on board. They're like, this is a great idea. But basically, it's a bunch of creative thinkers or people like-minded individuals who care for the environment and the world we live in and who use our creativity to help and work hopefully solving some of those problems. No easy task. Uh, and it, we're not going to do it all by ourselves, but 
at least, you know, when my children are older and we're living in a bunker somewhere wearing a gas mask and they ask me what I did to help, I can, you know, feel a little bit better about myself that I took a lot of my free time and dedicated it to something that would serve a greater purpose. That's interesting. Donating a hundred dollars and closing your laptop and and feeling like you did something to actually applying your skills to the problem. Yeah. When my tombstone's not going to say like, oh, Jeff Simpson, great art director. You know, he did that great ad back in 2006. What a great ad. What a great ad. Remember that commercial? No, it's going to be like, hopefully he made a difference in some people's lives or changed something. What does Jeff now have to, what advice do you have to give for, for young creatives? I mean, you probably see them coming into the agency for interviews and interning and we've got an intern starting next week. Right on. So what, you know, with all your experience now that you've had in your beginning, mistakes you've made, successes you've had, what advice does that culminate into giving young creatives? Uh, Well, you said it in one word there, mistakes, embrace failure. Um, It's hard. I think a lot of younger people I don't know if it's a byproduct of just the way they're brought up now where they see all the crap they watch on TV and Instagram. Everyone's a star. Everyone's got their 15 minutes. Everyone wants to be an influencer. I don't know why. It'd be a terrible job. Awesome. It's terrible. Everyone yeah. laughs at them when they see them in the public. I don't know why anyone would want to do it. They yeah. just think it's cool. Yeah. Only us people know what's going we on behind the, the lens. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, that's normally my first piece of advice is embrace failure. Get used to like making mistakes and stop trying to be perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. They're all trying to do too much. I get people, they come in, they're like, yeah, this is what I do, taking school, and this is my side hustle. I'm like, why do you have a side hustle? Can't you just focus on one thing? No one's (laughs) going to buy your stupid t-shirts or your lip balm made out of cherry oil or something. Like, focus on the one thing you're good at. Hopefully you have something you're good at. Yeah. Um, Because some of the students, you know, or younger people that get into this, and they they might not have had that in their lives. You know, they grew up with participation medals. Everyone gets a pat on the back. So no one's told them yet that they might suck. Yeah. Um, And the real world will really quickly. Yes, it will. Because there's 50 other people that want the same thing that you want. Yeah. But that's always I tell them first, like, take risks, embrace failure, learn from your mistakes. Yeah. If you can learn to do that, regardless of what profession you're going into and you're not afraid to fail and learn, you don't have like, you have shame, you know, you feel bad and then it drives you to work harder, then you should be okay. Yeah. That need talent. You do. But you know, that can, it needs to be there. It can be fostered and you know, you need great leaders around younger talent to, to help bring it out, but they have to figure it out on their own. They do. And I, I love that about failing, you know, failing is not a four letter word. It's necessary and, and good things come from failing and it's necessary to fail, to feel that. Yeah. And I don't know anyone that's learned anything from doing things right. All the time. You know, yeah. if you do something wrong, you go, you get hit in the head by something because you didn't use a hammer properly. You go, yeah. well, I'm not going to do that again. Kind of built in human nature. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, I just put my foot in the fire and it burned. Man, I mean, I should we're, probably not do that anymore. No, I mean, I, I have numerous examples that I could give about things that have gone wrong on jobs in my career where, you know, I ended up in the fetal position thinking, okay, but it made me better. Yeah. It had to happen. Yeah, you regardless if it's like and granted, sometimes those are just awful situations where you're like, you really couldn't have avoided avoided it. So like I look at it like two ways, like you can get all bent out of shape about it and you're allowed to do that by all means. Like Mm. I get pissed off. I get robots. I get upset. I stew and fester and swear and be like, I can't believe this. But at the end of the day, like I still have to move on with my life. Like I don't hold grudges. I don't dwell on things forever is it's a, if it's a business, it's a business. And we're humans. 
Yeah, everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. There's no such thing as perfection. Perfection's boring anyways. It is boring. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh students like these days, I think. Also, I tell a lot of them, which is tricky, is get off your computers. Put them away. Right. Don't influence yourself too much by technology. Pick up a pen. Pick up a pen. A piece of paper. Yeah. It's shocking to me. Like, I don't think cursive writing even exists anymore. Like in schools, my daughters do it and they're good at it, but they don't teach it. No. Like there's these dying, like, I bet you in 20 years, most kids at the age of 10 or 12 won't even know how to write. Why I still write in cursive and I've had people, you know, they're younger people, they're not sure how to read it, probably because my writing's so deplorable, but you know, they still, I, maybe I was supposed to be a doctor. I don't know. <laughs> this is, this is something that I, maybe something, maybe nothing, but I've often thought about this, the agency model. Yep. You know, you've been at this for a while now. Has it changed? Is it, is it? Of course it's yeah, changed. It's yeah. ever, there's the foundations that'll never change. There's been a bunch of new models that spring up. You know, a lot of clients have started creating their own in-house agencies. Apple did it. Did that hurt their creative work? Not necessarily. Some brands, yes. Everyone probably remembers the bad, I think it was Diet Coke or Pepsi ad that they did themselves where they give the Coke to the riot police. Terrible. Yeah. Um, and then everyone at the agency just goes, ha ha ha, idiots. Uh, yeah. That's why you need us. Um, but like I said, the technology and the speed at which things can happen and move force change. Like you can't be this old dinosaur of just like, this is the way you got to do this first and then this and yeah. then this. And then the pandemic happened and that changed everything as well. I, I you started your present job at Trampoline as a creative director right when that happened, right? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, wow. I um, had left my previous agency, uh, was called Extreme Group, now Arrivals and Departures, where I'd been for about 10 years. Yes. So again, like wasn't looking for the change, but I was like, hey, you know, new opportunity. Let's figure something out. Let's give this a try. Uh, I think that would have been November of 2019. Correct. So it was about four weeks until Christmas and then, you know, brand new year, new agency, some familiar faces, but, you know, a fresh start. 2020 yeah. is going to be the best year of my life. Best one ever. Fuck, was I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even start well. I think in January, uh, there was, I had some like family um, health issues back home in Ottawa. And then I remember going on a, a photo shoot in Montreal in February. Right. Which is when the pandemic was sort of already happening wow. in other countries. It wasn't really affecting Canada That's that right. much. We were hearing about it then. We were hearing about Vancouver. it. Vancouver. Yeah. In bigger cities. So I'd land in Montreal at the airport and every international flight, everyone's wearing masks. Everyone in the airport's wearing masks. And I'm like, man, I love my mask. I'm freaking out. Like I should get a mask. And they sold them at the airport. So I bought some, got in a cab, cab drivers wearing a mask, talking about like deaths already in Montreal. This is February. This is February. They're talking about the nursing homes in, in Montreal yeah. and there's deaths there. And I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is real. Everyone thought, well, it won't happen here. It won't happen here. And then, you know, by March, it was we March had, we 13th, had, we, I think. We had, you know, difficult conversations like every business did. And like, this is how we have to survive. And then, you know, kind of everything changed there. Um, but thankfully, like the uh, leadership team and us at, at Trampoline kind of got ahead of it a bit. We pivoted really quickly um, to a model that allowed people to work from home, set up all the technologies that now are just common language. Like, yeah. And no one really knew at that point, like how long that would last. So that was like the toughest thing for me because I'm I thrive off the interactions of others where you can read their body language and explain something in person as opposed to and have a conversation yeah. as opposed to writing a 
huge two page email. Uh, that's not my forte. So it was a, it was a challenge, but we figured it out. We had a, we have a great bunch of people that were like all willing to do it. Others embrace it more. I, so it, the model of, for agencies was like immediately disrupted right. for that. But I think over the last decade or so, it's been changing as well. Like we've had the glory days, those madman days that everyone sees where people just smoking, drinking, making tons yeah. of money, doing all kinds of fun stuff. And that was the glorification of this business. It's just a big party. Yep. And, you know, everything happened. If you think like the Black Lives Matter movement happened, um, you know, during the pandemic as well. Trump, dare I say his name was in. Poor to pick. Poor to pick. Uh, the world was burning. All this yeah. terrible stuff was happening. And then like we kind of needed to take a, a microscope and turn it back at ourselves as an industry. And we've been doing that um, collectively. You know, there's always been a diversity problem, whether it's there's not enough females that right. are leading companies that came up like all these movements have popped up for the better and you know diversity inclusion um equity pay all that stuff is the business has changed they've been forced to change because people no longer put up with this shit no right they no. don't you can't lure someone in anymore with like beer on friday and yeah. you know like a open concept office there's, yeah. there's different demands people want to and be a ping pong table yeah here you go and they'll go work 20 hours a day and yeah. uh, also come in saturday and sunday yes People don't want that anymore. Um, <laughs> and I think the pandemic really. wonder why. Yeah. The pandemic, you know, we have the great resignation, they've called it. So I think the pandemic for me really opened my eyes to the that work-life balance. Everyone yeah. says, oh, I want a work-life balance. But no one really knew what it meant because yeah. everyone just worked too much anyways. So I, I, I gained a lot of empathy for people and like mental flexibility yeah. to understand that like people are going through some stuff like some people might have family members that have passed or have died yeah so not to like pressure or add anxiety not all of our industry has changed you know we're still battling and grappling with these crazy demands because i think yeah. you know as a whole we still have a really hard time saying no to clients like no that we just can't do that in that time or no we just don't want to work with you because you represent your difficult awful things or you're a difficult person yeah hopefully the reflection time people have of the last few years will maybe make the world a better place yeah but some people want to work from home forever that's fine yeah but it there's no going back right like there's no there's no this work from home like flexibility that is now ingrained in everyone's mind it will disrupt every industry well, we know it works there's no denying it does it though i don't know what do you think doesn't work for me doesn't work for you no like i said i want interaction with other people yeah it works for some and great you know yeah but uh, I'll, I'll wait to see the Harvard psychology studies in 15 years of what happens to people's mental health working from home or yeah. the breakdown of community. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe yeah. we're all going to be living in the metaverse anyways, getting free pizza in the boardroom. Yeah. Who knows? It's been interesting for us because we work in a silo, you know, like this is my office. We either work here uh, or we work on location. So it's, it was interesting kind of have that perspective that didn't disrupt. What disrupted us was the work stop and then the work started and then the work stopped and it started and stopped and, and through that cycle. But yeah, it was kind of like welcome to our world. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of how we operate. Yeah. It's, uh, I wouldn't want to wish that world upon anyone, but you know, that's how some, some people thrive, right? Like, yeah, there's, there's always going to be different. Like that's the way I've learned in any sort of leadership position. You know, you, my goal is to just get out of the way. 
Yeah. Right. Like don't, don't micromanage, don't get in people's way, only involve yourself when you're necessary. You know, people don't like being told what to do. I'll let people fail. I don't mind. I yeah. told my staff people, I'm like, you, I don't, you, you might fail at this yeah. and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. We'll fix it later. Don't worry. They got to learn on their own. I'm not going to sit there and waste all my energy to do everything for them. That's not going to help anyone. No. Which is why I find when you work from home and everyone's all over different places, those types of behavior traits and ways to learn are more difficult. You know, I think I'm still learning, like, how do you strategically coach someone on like a Zoom call with five other people? Yeah. How do you provide clarity and feedback when no one can write anything down or you don't know if, well, A, if anyone's even paying attention. You know, I've had a lot of calls where there's like some of the worst ones of Zoom calls where there's so many little boxes of names like for presenting to huge boards. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to even be able to put my eyeballs somewhere to look at the person. You can't touch all these people. And 30 of them don't have their camera on. Yeah. And then I'm like, I feel like I'm going insane. I'm, you know, you're doing a presentation. I'm staring at a screen, not looking at anyone, talking to myself. Yeah. And then at the end, someone says a couple of things and then I hang up. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Um, Like that's not real life. Like if I had to present to a group of 50 people in person, well, A, I'd probably wear pants. Um, Yes. And B, like you would have the ability to like read the room and know when like, Oh, clearly they they're understanding this or they're not getting that. So I think absolutely this digital world we're in, um, there's obviously it's it's great for efficiencies and stuff, yeah. right? Like I'm sure it'll help. You know, ironically, as it's Earth Day today, you know, you might not have to travel for a business meeting anymore. You could just do right. a Zoom call. That's right. Um, it, it can maybe alleviate the endless meetings, but at the same time, it's I don't think it's gonna help like I can't get up and inspire you with like a little PDF presentation. No. And you've got like a dog barking or a child in the other room. Yeah. People's attentions are split. Exactly. Our job in this business is to take your attention, fill it with something interesting, and then hopefully you fulfill the whatever it is that we're trying to sell you. But it's really hard. I still struggle with it now of doing these, taking our stuff that we, you know, we talked about the key project, all these other projects, these, these projects you work on, you pour all this effort into it and you want to like sell it you want to get people excited about it yes you know you used to do that a big dog and pony show you know you get up you you could spend a lot of money in these big pitches and now you just got a little pdf and a a screen and your your little box of like an inch high on a screen yeah it's depleting you know it Uh, is you you don't get to do your job properly that's a big part of your job is that presentation and selling people on that idea and getting them excited in person whole job everyone like i everyone has ideas i could be hey it would be really cool to go to the moon yeah great idea how the hell are you going to do it yeah and then some people go figure out and they do it but then they still had to sell them somebody has to pay for that like hey we're going to build this rocket people are probably going to die but i think we'll get it yeah or whatever it is you're selling the selling part if you can't sell an idea it'll never exist yeah I'm sure there's billions of great ideas that never get off the ground because someone can't sell it. No, but you know, what I love about what you just said there is what you tapped into the part of your personality, which is empathy. You know, I I think all of us that aren't sociopaths have gone through this and have gained more empathy for our fellow man, Mm -hmm. more understanding. And that's a really great thing. You know, I think it allowed us to stop and reflect about, oh, you know, Bob at the office maybe has some other problems that we didn't even know about. But now because of the pandemic, they become a thing for Mm -hmm. him and we need to support him, Mm -hmm. you know. 
Yeah. And as a leader, yes, I'm not a therapist. No, but I will be one in a pinch if need be. Everyone has issues, right? And yes. yeah, they, like you said, the last few years maybe brought more of those to the front. Um, so like I said, I, I just try and be fair, be empathetic to people. It's a people business. That's the yes. other thing I could talk about with students and even just coworkers and anyone. You might be working for Nike. You know, you might have a huge, amazing Super Bowl spot or some accolades you can have, but you had to deal with real people. Yeah. Like you, you have to learn the ins and outs of your relationship with that client, with your coworkers, with your partner, with your photographer. It's people one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Like if yeah. you can't build a relationship of trust, empathy, and like. It's everything. You're never going to be able to get anything that's uh, where you're able to take a risk. Like there's a lot of trust involved on yeah. both sides. There you is. Know? Like a client gives you a bunch of money. There's got to be some trust there. Hopefully they've hired you for a reason. They think you're yeah. going to do a good job in the first place, but you're like, well, I hope I don't mess this up. And they've, in the good ones, they have that trust. Yes. Right. And that's what builds any great relationship. Work or not work is trust. Yeah. It's hard to produce good work without trust. It's impossible. Yeah. Oh, I meant, I wanted to also ask you, who are your influences? Like who are the people, artistic people, creative directors, people that you admire? Jesus. You know, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the reason for the season. You know what I mean? Like I can remember coming into this business, for instance, and, and Peter Lieberman came back into the market yep. and I was, I was like blown away. I couldn't believe the level of work he was doing. So that immediately got my attention in, but, but I mean that as a positive, you know, I couldn't, I don't know if I could name names, but definitely there were some advertising agencies Sure. That, you know, like you'd see the work. You taxi. Get taxi, you get the annuals. But even like all the older ones, you know, some of my favorite ads are from like the 90s and stuff. And so you look up those agencies and you're like, wow, look at these. These people are so smart and they're geniuses. And you're like, it's like when you see an ad and you're like, damn it, that's so, yeah. so yeah. good. They're so smart. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I get that from everywhere and it's not just from like, if you only were like looking at as yourself as a photographer, you are for looking at photos and videos, like you're going to be very narrow minded in your focus. Um, so I get inspiration from everywhere. It doesn't come from, comes from like, you know, look at the window and a bird flies by or, you know, riding the train or experiencing things. Yeah. I'm like a people person. I like to just sit, I could sit on the boardwalk and just I watch know. people go by yeah. all day. I have a monstrous library of books at home that Bev would probably tell me to stop buying books, but I'll just sit down when I'm bored and I'll grab a random one and start reading yeah. or leafing through it. It might be like Egyptian artifacts from the 19th century. Yeah. And I know nothing about it, but it just puts more unique perspectives in my brain. You put it into the soup. Yeah. And then maybe it's good. Yeah. And maybe it needs a and little more probably, vodka. And you probably never know that it's that thing that's affecting an idea no. or something. It's just a culmination. And that's why the more you put in, yes, right. put in the better chance that something interesting will come yeah. out. Yeah. I think we all do it. I mean, I do it with, with shows. Like I can be watching a show on Netflix and I can't even at the end of it tell you what the story was because I'm so into the framing and the camera movements yeah. and the lighting. And I do that you know, too. It's like I, two different I ruin, parts of my brain that are working at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I'll do that as well and ruin movies for Bev. Oh, She's like, man. can you just shut up? I don't care about the cinematography. Yeah. And I'm like, well, but it's really cool. It's all shot on film, you know, <laughs> here's yeah. the, here's the DOP don't, and like, look yeah. at this other, and she's like, I don't care. I just want to watch this. Yeah. I'm like, fine. I'll do but this Don't you later. know they shot that on an Aries and then they scanned it to film and then they brought it back into she's like, yeah, but who yeah. cares? Yeah. Um, well, I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those things. <laughs> it's all I care like, about yeah. really. But that's also narrow-minded, right? And yes. I realized like, it's great that we have those passions because if we didn't, we wouldn't be good at our crafts. That's but, right. Um, most people don't give a shit about that. Um, they're like, 
just show me the show me the thing. Yeah. They, I, they don't want to see behind the curtain. No. Like if you go to a restaurant, I don't necessarily want to watch them make my meal. Might not want to eat it anymore. No. But definitely you get a nice meal. You're like, oh, this is really good. You know, it's funny because photography and videography, once you learn it or you know about it, it kind of ruins. Like I can't look at an ad in a magazine anymore without, first of all, Judging looking it. at the lighting and, and how it is and how good it is or how bad it is or what they did, what modifier they used. And then there's the body copy, which we'll get to. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I do that, too. We all do that. Yeah. You know, you look at everything, you're like, but there's a lot of great stuff out there. There too. is. Um, and you're like, wow, I don't know how they did that. So then it can be really interesting to, f to find that. And nowadays, because of the Internet and people posting those things like, oh, here's a behind the scenes. Yeah. And you're like, wow, OK, now I kind of know how to do that yeah. myself. Yeah. It's similar circle all the way back to the Keys project. We didn't know how to do that, but we watched a couple no. of videos and then figured it out. Yeah. I can remember you showing me that example from Lexus and I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is what he wants to do. OK. Maybe not on the Lexus style budget, no, but uh, no. it worked. It did. Yeah, it was great. And and again, that was a not-for-profit client. And, and that was pure passion, pure love for doing something that was going to make a difference. Yeah, I try and do that with every client. But, yeah. you know, those are the ones that I find for whatever reason, probably because they're not paying you, but they seem to be the ones that give you the most gratitude. They gave us a lot of love. I, I just wanted to go back again and ask, and we kind of touched on it because I'm always very intrigued by how ideas are formulated and where they come from. Like I, Me too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're just talking about when you do your best thinking. I do really my best thinking at night when, when everything's over and I'm walking the dog or, you know, you just have a chance to reflect on what's happening, whatever's rolling around in the noggin at the time. But do you have a particular time of day that you find your most good ideas to, come yeah, to you? Um, when I'm not uh, busy. Yes. Um, it tends to be in the, in the evening or late time too. I, people ask me that question a lot. Like, how do you come up with ideas? Hmm. Like, I don't know if I knew the answer, I'd probably be very, very wealthy. Um, cause the process is different for everyone, right? Like some people need to like do a certain thing and then do something else. And if I, if they told me like, oh, you should try that. Like, no, that's, that wouldn't work for me. That's just not my, I'm not, it's not, it's dumb or anything, but that's just not how I work for me. I just try and let it get into the back of the mind, you know, where you're percolate, percolate, your subconscious can think about it. And then it just comes out when it needs Interesting. to. Yeah. Hopefully. Does it surprise you sometimes? Not really. Like it, it'll surprise me sometimes in, in, um, way that I choose to react to those ideas. Um, where I'm like, wow, this is an amazing idea. Like, you know, in the middle of the night, you write it down. And then like the next day, you get the paper by your bedside. I used to, yes. I don't anymore. Um, but sometimes I've had to get up and like go write something down or I just turn my phone and be like, Hey Siri, take a note. Um, mm -hmm. and then you give yourself the time to, and like, I won't look at it or right. write it. Interesting. It'll, it'll pop up for like two days later. And I'm like, wow, I thought that was good. That's stupid. Yes. Um, and nowadays I find too, like it's things I tell people, like separate yourself from work. Like if you're stuck, like walk away. We don't tend to have that time anymore. So like back in the day, you know, you do one print ad and it takes you six months. You might have some time to walk away and look at it a week later. Nowadays it might be an hour. Yeah. 10 minutes. Like if you were to look at your photos you took five, six years ago, you'd probably yeah. be like, oh God, I could have done so much better. Yeah. 
And that's Don't get a, me started. That's a good sign. If yes. everyone says they love everything they've ever done, that person's probably not very good at what they're doing. Exactly. And they're not, they're not moving on. So like I try and give myself like I'll write stuff down. I like always have a notebook with me and it's not the whole idea or something, but just like something that will pieces of the puzzle. pieces of the puzzle and I'll just leave them there. And if they turn yeah. into something great and if they don't, then they're there in a book yeah. and I save all those too. I don't throw out the the books. I probably have 50 moleskins at home. And you go back to them? I go back to them. Wow, you know, that's bring out, cool. Bring out the dead. You know, yeah. you get those projects and you're like, I think I thought about something like this in 2008. Yeah. And I actually write the dates down in the books too. And I'll go back. I'm like, yep, there it is. I'll read it. I'm like, oh, there's an amazing idea that a client never bought or never got to see that works perfect for this. Let's adapt it and move on. That's great. A catalog of ideas. Yeah. Well, because we're not robots. We can't no. just generate them on the spot. So like, like I said earlier, like you find that inspiration to figure those ideas yeah. out from anywhere. What's your favorite job? Can you name one, the one you're most proud of? It's funny. Um, I've had people ask, I've had people ask me that before. Um, like, what's your favorite job or what's your, what ad are you most proud of? So I could point to one or two, but it's ever changing, right? You know, yes. the, they always say in this business, you're only as good as your last ad. So yes. What have you done recently? You and I have had the pleasure to work on some pretty amazing projects together. Uh, we've talked about a couple of them here. Mm -hmm. Those certainly rank near the top. But, you know, where things go wrong, I think we did a job somewhere in this province that might have involved or not involved some sheep. Yeah. Was that my best or favorite uh, project? No. Was it one of the most memorable? Definitely. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at things, you know, like even when you work on. I remember that job. Yeah, me too. We came up in conversation a couple of weeks ago and someone like pulled up the picture and I was like, oh my God, the sheep. Um, but yeah, it's those things that stick out, you know, like if you look back on your life too, like I said, you're not going to remember all the things that went perfectly. No. Sure. You'll remember big moments. Like, yeah. But we never panicked. I remember that. I was a tourism job and we got to Lewisburg and um, the sheep were not there, rebellious and not there at the time. And the first location that we wanted to get, the light was everything. Yeah. And the, the location that was boarded up didn't exist. We got exist, nothing. We got, exist. yeah. We remember we got nothing. We couldn't get anything to work. We came back at dawn in the morning and um, we ended up having to corral the sheep into an area and then shoot it and then could take the sheep away and take the corrals away it was all them. composited yes, yeah we and we clone. were cloning sheep yeah that's kind of funny actually it is and see like if i asked you like do you remember the bell alliant job number 42 no. then you, you'd be like no but you remember that one the 400 shots of the rep on white scene yeah, you're never gonna remember Don't that remember that right um but you'll remember the ones that stand out because like i said there's failure there's risk there's stuff that and that's the way your brain works you're the like five kilometer hike into Paulette's yeah. cove or something and yeah the makeup or, artist almost had a heart attack too I think. yeah i have better fond memories of being in an office at three in the morning with colleagues working on a pitch or yeah. some deadline. And it might even be for something that never gets off the ground. But I remember those moments more than I would the actual final product. Yeah. Because it's like a shared experience, you know, like not shared suffering. No. But it kind of is. Yeah. You know, like people kind of rally around that when something's not going right. Uh, the struggle. It's a struggle and people empathize with that. And those ones kind of stand out for me. Yeah. Um, hopefully, you know, there's 
cliches is say there's always the next next project around the corner that could be your new favorite. Um, so I tend not to like try and divide them up like that. Yeah. I just I love the fact that I'm a able to do this for a living and get paid and exactly. have these experiences because um, it's a pretty amazing job it that is. we do. Um, and like you said, the things that happen, we have sayings on our wall at the office too that like you'd only hear in advertising. It's like, what the hell did you just say? Like what? Why? That doesn't even make sense. But to us, it's like, oh yeah, I totally understand what you're talking about. Yeah, ad speak. Yeah, you know, so it's a crazy world and every project has the opportunity to become something great yeah. and something memorable. But I, I always remember with you, I always remember your stamina, like the, your, your ability to work with just used to blow my mind, the hours that you would log on things and no one had to tell you to do it. It was just like, it's what's required in the moment. Yeah. I wanted to do it. Um, yeah. not so much anymore. No, before kids, before kids. Yeah. And it's, but it was the passion and it was for me just to explore my own way of working and way of thinking and that's why i said like i failed a lot yeah you know like it's everything we do every day i'd say 90 percent of it ends up in the trash can yeah maybe 10 percent of it gets made and then out of that 10 percent, maybe half of one percent is good but hey you don't make any of the shots you don't take exactly man this has been great i've enjoyed it it's kind of it's just kind of like you and i getting together for lunch you know yeah it's wonderful uh, and thanks for taking the time that's my pleasure. That's it for us. We really love hearing these stories from our creative community. So stay tuned as we will be inviting more folks to come and chat with us. This podcast has been brought to you by Jive Photographic Productions. From branding images to droning to podcasts, we are your one-stop shop for multimedia. Want to learn more? Check out jivephotographic.com. Until next time, keep it creative.